This is ETC, encouraging teacher conversation. So, moving on, we're delighted to welcome Matt Esterman to ETC. At ETC, we're always looking for movers and shakers in the education world, and Matt is exactly that. He's a history teacher and e-learning coordinator at a school in Sydney. Matt is involved in teach meets, Twitter chats, professional associations and other professional learning networks. He tells me he loves learning and hopes to share more with the world. Welcome, Matt. We're delighted you could join us today. G'day. Thank you very much for having me. Very welcome. So um, you are involved in uh, looking at all the challenges for teachers as they uh, become and develop as lifelong learners. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, I think there are lots of challenges that are developing um, and have developed over the recent past for teachers, uh, whereby there are more and more demands on teachers' time. So perhaps even 10 or 15 years ago, there weren't the kinds of administrative and other demands uh, for teachers to pack into their days and their weeks. Um, and now what we're finding is that not only are we, is we sort of struggling with the day-to-day, um, but I suppose we're also trying and striving to be those learners and, and leaders of learning that um, that everyone wants us to be in the classroom and beyond. So there's the challenge of time, of course. There's, there's almost the other big challenge, I'd say, is that there's almost too much learning um, opportunity out there. There's just a huge amount of opportunity, both formal and informal, that uh, um, are sort of bombarding teachers um, quite often. So not only do they not have time, but there's so much out there that they could do that it's only at times as well. So, um, do you think everybody um, is keen to be a lifelong learner and take this journey on? Um, how do you find people who are moving towards the end of their careers? Are they just as excited or do you get some resistance to the notion of lifelong learning? Um, look, I think it, it's not about age necessarily. It's not necessarily about career stage. Um, that, that may play a part. But I've met plenty of teachers that are towards the end of their career who are just as passionate as they were um, when they came fresh out of university. Um, they, they want to improve. They want to grow. Um, they want to try new things. They want to fail um, and learn from it. Uh, and, and equally as much, I've, I've met people who are early on in their careers or, or quite comfortable in their career path um, who are kind of sitting on their laurels a little bit. And um, I'm sure I'm guilty of that sometimes in some ways of, of saying, no, you know what, I, I know everything I need to know in that particular aspect of my job. And so I'm just going to not learn anything about it and, and not read up on it or, or go to professional learning events or anything like that because I feel comfortable. So, um, you know, I think uh, a better way to think about it is our, our personality and our approach and perhaps our mindset uh, rather than our um, career stage uh, because I think it is about your mindset and if you, um, not, that, not that you should always doubt what you do, um, I think you need to have confidence in yourself but I think that there is um, room for people to have that growth mindset and to say actually you know what, um, I can grow, I can change um, and I can become better and, and there's no shame in saying that there's no shame in saying you know what i'm not as good of a history teacher in this particular area as that person next to me uh, i'm quite lucky to teach next to in my case a fantastic history teacher doing the same course as i am and he i will never catch up to the level of knowledge that he has but at the same time i've got strengths that he doesn't and, and we can work together um, and i suppose broadening that out as a profession we can rely on each other a little bit more in this in this current 
climate um, to say, well, actually, you don't have to have, be an expert in absolutely everything. You can have your areas of strength and you have to identify your areas of weakness. And so long as we're still growing and we're still evolving, I suppose, then that's all anyone can ever expect of us. But doesn't this really um, make us think again about the way we treat teachers and the teacher's journey? Because there was a time where the teacher came to a class and he or she was the font of all knowledge. And you had that very old-fashioned approach saying, you know, you're an empty vessel, I'm going to fill you, um, and that the teacher knew everything. By suggesting that the teacher doesn't know everything how could they possibly in this technological age? Um, doesn't it undermine the role of teacher? Um, it's an interesting question, isn't it? I suppose it's, um, you know, there are those those categories of teachers that we talk about now being the sage on the stage or the, um, you know, meddler in the middle is one I like um, or the guide on the side. Um, and I, I suppose I'd like to think that most teachers do a little bit of all of them whenever it's appropriate. I think the power of a good teacher is to know when to intervene to know when to stand in front of the class and, and tell a story or to, um, you know, to do the opposite and just stand on the side and let the kids do the learning. I think we underestimate the power of what kids can do when we've provided them with scaffolds and when uh, we give them a clear expectation, which they often surpass. Um, I don't know how many times I've set a standard and the kids have just rocked right past it um, and have done amazing stuff that I couldn't have thought of. And I think that's the point is if we give them a box to exist in, then they'll fill that box and they won't go outside of it. But if we say, well, you know, there's a square and you don't have to stay inside it, um, you can step out and try things and you know what, if you fail, that's okay, then, you know, we might have to step in at certain times and say, um, look, let me give you a bit of knowledge about this thing. Um, when they have questions, yes, I'll answer them. I'm not going to ignore you <laughs> and be the, be a silent guide on the side or something like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's that power of, of knowing when to intervene and how deeply to intervene in a student's learning. Um, because I guess, look, uh, you know, one, one of the ideas I subscribe to is that, um, you know, learning can happen without a teacher, but teaching can't happen without learners. And so I think we just have to keep that in mind when we are planning out our lessons and planning out our sequences of lessons and units and things and say, well, yeah, what are the learning objectives as opposed to what are the teaching objectives? Even though we're held quite accountable to what we do from our perspective, um, I, I think most school leaders, the best school leaders are the ones who identify that, you know what, it's not all about box ticking. Like, that'll happen. If you're a great teacher, the boxes will be ticked. Um, but if you're um, focused solely on the box ticking, then that's all you'll ever achieve. And that's not really what we're here for. I agree with you. I mean, I think that teaching and education in general has to be creative, agile and flexible because that reflects the contemporary workplace. Uh, the economics of the world has changed dramatically even in the last 10 years. Um, and we know that we're going to have more uh, change thrust upon us so therefore having that mindset where we we do look at things creatively and we are really agile in the way we solve a problem um, and flexible um, and that ability to change I think is important therefore putting ourselves perhaps um, in the position of learner always is also a very good thing because it does help you empathize and explore what students are going through because it's easy when you are a so-called expert in your field to forget just the problems that people are uh, experiencing when they undertake your subject area. 
For sure. And I think that we forget also that, um, you know, kind of like sometimes I think in, in political discussions or in, in public discourse, we forget that people aren't just consumers. They're not just taxpayers. They're not just voters. Um, and they're citizens as well. And they're, they're um, you know, family members and they're all sorts of different things. And our kids are as well. Our, our students are, you know, they're not just a mark on a page. And um, if you obsess about marks on the page, then that's what you'll turn the kids into. And they'll start thinking, oh, I'm a B student um, or, you know, I'm an A student. And of course, we, you know, we need structures and scaffolds to, um, to, to measure growth and measure understanding and that sort of thing. Um, I'm not saying we do away with that completely, but we just have to realise that, you know what, some days um, there might be a student sitting there who just will not learn, no matter how good of a teacher you are, because they aren't in the disposition to learn. So something might have happened in their private life, something might have happened two seconds ago, um, they might be worried about something happening, and we have to understand that, and this is, I think, a big difference to perhaps previous generations where you did just walk in and just teach um, now we do have to have that kind of connection and that, that participation and engagement from the kids to actually be an effective teacher. Um, and so we have to, you know, I've been very lucky in the schools that I've worked in where um, we are pushed to consider the whole child. Um, and I think most schools would do that, you know. It, we're not out to um, just create these little automaton learners or, or, or um, you know, exam writers or things like that. I think any teacher worth their salt would say, no, actually, I do think of them as people as well as, um, you know, <laughs> essay writers and researchers and all that other stuff. The idea of uh, traditional versus new is quite an interesting um, dynamic. Uh, in the UK, for example, uh, we've got a, an experiment actually uh, being televised where Chinese teachers have come into UK into a specific UK school uh, to teach in the Chinese way and uh, contribute aspects of their language and culture um, and it's interesting because um, the Chinese model sees their students being uh, by the age of 14 about three years ahead um, of UK students in maths and so of course with maths being such a foundation subject for just about everything um, it's of cause of concern so uh, it's easy to look at a Chinese or a Singapore model and say gosh we, we need some of that to, to help our kids get along but the really interesting thing is it's so alien to the way students are uh, being taught and are learning that the Chinese teachers, well, a couple of them have actually been in tears. Um, and the head teacher is sitting in the back of the classroom watching some of it at times. Um, and that whole essence of, you know, I've got the answer, you're going to sit there, you're going to write it down and learn it. Um, and the expectation is that if I've told you um, what to think about parallelograms, immediately you'll get it and we can then move on. And the Chinese system is that they have a standard and they don't deviate from that standard. And they work very, very quickly. And the expectation is you don't question. You pick up your problems in your own time and come back to the lesson up to speed, basically. And you can imagine all hell is breaking loose in the UK classrooms. Oh, look, I, I, yeah, I'll 
respond to that absolutely, which is, look, I'm not, I'm not an expert in these sorts of comparative um, education systems and things like that, but I have read about how systems like in Singapore and South Korea are actually looking at things like the PISA results and all that sort of stuff and going, guys, you know, don't do what we do because we're now actually taking a shift and taking a conscious decision to move away from that kind of testing regime, to move away from that kind of teaching style and, and um, the infrastructure and, and the thinking around that because it's actually destroying our kids <laughs> and, and we're not creating the crew, um, sort of supporting the creative, problem-solving, critical thinkers that we actually do need. Yeah, people need maths, absolutely. Um, but how much maths do you need to survive in life? Um, I, I would, you know, I didn't do uh, maths in my final year at school and I'm doing okay. I can create spreadsheets when I need to because I go on YouTube and I look at how to do it. Um, or I'm lucky enough, of course, to be a teacher where I've got a fantastic maths department where I can say, hey, can I have five minutes of recess and we'll sit down and chat me through this thing. So it's not necessarily about knowing everything. Um, and I know people like Sagata Mitra often argues that are we at the end of knowledge? Um, that it, Sorry, the end of knowing, not the end of knowledge, but the end of that idea that you do have to be that um, you know receptacle of knowledge and facts and, and remembering. Um, but actually, it doesn't matter how much you know, so long as you know how to find out the stuff you don't know. Um, so I'm, I'm all about training young learners. I'm not really about it. You know, I'll put it in my own context. I'm, if, if a kid can't remember um, exactly the date that a war started or that um, a particular person became prime minister or something like that, that doesn't worry me as much as if they can't work out how to find out if they give up after two seconds and throw their hands up and say, I've got no idea how to, how do I find this information out, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I can't do it. That's more worrying to me is this idea that kids don't have the grit or the resilience or the, the, the mindset as well, I suppose, to, to be a good learner or a great learner or an efficient learner in that regard. So um, it's interesting to me when we do try and um, inject different cultural approaches into, into education because uh, I think education is very much infused with the culture of the place um, and each school is different as well like talk about cultures you'll go from one um, uh, you know school to another and see very different ways and approaches in the classroom because that school has cultivated a particular approach and um, you know I, I'd like to think that they adapt it based on the kids that are sitting in the classroom and the learners that they have. I'd like to think that they're a bit more flexible about their approach in that they can say, well, you know what, if you're a fluent Italian speaker, why are you sitting there doing Year 7 Italian? Why don't you go on to Year, year 10 Italian? Or why don't you start your HSC in New South Wales or, um, you, you know, your, um, your advanced study earlier? Um, yeah, you might be sitting next to 16-year-olds and you're 12 and we've got to, you know, deal with that. But um, if we can break down some of those barriers about um, age-based learning and, and saying that, no, no, you're not able to do Year 10 maths yet because you're just in Year 7, well, actually, maybe they can. Maybe they've got that thinking around literature or language or, or mathematics or something. And, yeah, at recess and lunch, they'll chat to their mates. They might have, have some of them in class, so that socialisation's still there with people of their own age. Um, but actually, in terms of learning, they might be at different rates in different ways. Now, most schools aren't built to cope with that. Most schools are built on that, um, you know, dare I say, an industrial model where you have a batch of kids and you push them through and, and they stay with that group. But, you know, you go to some schools and they're making flexible arrangements for certain kids. Um, they're, you know, in particular for kids with disabilities or with, with um, learning issues or with social issues. 
um, with, with all sorts of different contexts. And schools are really trying hard, I think, to make way for that and to say, well, actually, no, we can sort of mould the learning experience around the student to some extent as opposed to just filling them into a jug that, of which a shape we decide. Uh, so it is interesting to me when we do try and inject different cultures immediately and expect them to work because it's change, you know. It's, um, it, it's not relevant to every kid. And, of course, the less relevant a classroom is to a student, the more they'll disengage and the less they'll see school as a relevant place to be. And I think that's a real shame. And, and there are so many opportunities out there to learn at their own pace and in their own way that I'm really interested to see in the next 10 years where schools actually go. I think you're right. I think it will be a really, really exciting time. Well, it is already. So would you like to tell me a little bit about um, what you're involved with in terms of kind of professional learning networks? Sure. I guess the the main one would be uh, TeachMeets in Australia. So we borrowed the idea from you guys in the UK. Um, And so we've now got TeachMeet communities all around Australia all running themselves and, and running professional learning for teachers and by teachers and they're wonderful um, if anyone listening wants to run a teach meet you can you just need a venue and a date and a theme or, or something like that and a bunch of passionate people and, and away you go and uh, yeah I guess there's that there's Twitter conversations which um, Twitter I consider to be just a global staff room you know you walk in and people are chatting away and then you walk out again and they keep chatting um, and, and you can pick up some great ideas from it you can have some amazing connections and conversations uh, and, and those are the sorts of things that we couldn't necessarily do before. Google Hangouts and Skype chats and, you know, even things like LinkedIn and, and those sorts of sites, I suppose, where, um, oh, Facebook, for example, Facebook groups, we have teachers jumping in. I'm a member of the Historical Teachers Association of Ireland, for example, <laughs> and um, I haven't visited Ireland yet. But, you know, when um, I'm doing a topic about Irish history or about, um, say, the Irish in Australia or something like that, that's a connection that I couldn't possibly have thought of having 10 or 15 years ago, really. And, and so I think um, I'm, I'm involved in a few social media networks that way, but also the more traditional ones as well, teacher associations, uh, say, history teachers or ICT educators associations and those sorts of things and going to conferences and workshops and seminars and, and those sorts of things. So, you know, I think there's a place in the learning landscape for all those different types of learning uh, I think again it comes down to personality and mindset and some people will only go to very expensive conferences for some reason they, they put value on that and if they get value out of it wonderful but there are people who get just as much value out of a teach me which they haven't paid for um, and they participated in and they presented at and maybe that's what they need too so whilst there are some things that perhaps we need to do for accreditation purposes or, you know, to tick those boxes, I'd like to think that if teachers are engaged in their own learning, then, again, those boxes will be ticked. Um, You just go along and get your professional learning and get your professional growth happening, and the sort of admin will take care of itself. Fantastic. So um, do you think that um, there is a really good way to record the kind of um, development that's going on uh, with teachers learning uh, and not necessarily just from courses? There's a few different things. Like, for instance, in Australia, we have a um, uh, the Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership have a whole bunch of tools and resources for teachers to use to compare themselves to the, the national standards for teachers that we have now. Um, I think in New Zealand they have similar things and and Singapore, I think, as well. And different countries have different um, standards, of course, written pretty much 
they're, they're comparable, but um, written in different ways and for different purposes. And of course, the expectations around it are different too. Some systems are very laissez-faire, some are quite um, uh, authoritarian and, and um, <laughs> require quite a bit of admin around um, keeping a track of things. Um, but I guess, you know, my whole thing is we weren't employed to be, as, uh, to be administrators, you know, we weren't employed to be data entry um, people. Um, those roles are absolutely critical at schools, but teachers were not employed to do that. Um, and any admin that we do should have a positive impact on learning, because if it's not, then a teacher shouldn't really be doing it. So, Matt, I'd like to thank you for taking the time uh, to visit us. And certainly we found what you have been saying about lifelong learning very interesting. Look, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, and look, I guess a, a message to teachers out there is that the kids want you to be the best learners. You know, they want you to lead them through learning. Um, they, you know, even when they're angry at you and frustrated with you and all that sort of stuff, and even with when we're frustrated with them, um, they do actually lap it up when you give them a challenge. Um, when when you do push them along in their learning, um, when you do try and engage them, just make the effort. Um, it is worth it. If you if you're struggling, if you're frustrated or something, get in touch with people. There are people all around the world who are willing to give you um, their time, their advice, their resources in a lot of cases. So don't reinvent the wheel. Get in touch with people. Establish a professional learning network and um, and use it. You know, really keep in touch with people and keep that conversation going so that you can be the best learner in the room. Thanks very much, Matt. I think that is um, advice we should all take on board immediately. This is ETC. We do hope you've enjoyed our first outing and I'm sure ETC will go from strength to strength. More importantly, we'd love to know more about what you're doing and we're actively looking for teachers and educators who have something to say and would like to share their ideas, practices and perspective with ETC's audience. If you'd like to appear on the show, do contact us through the TTA website, which is tta.edu.au, or catch up with us on Twitter or LinkedIn, where we are very active. Meanwhile, if you've liked the show, do leave us a rating on iTunes. It's one way we can ensure the word is spread, and we look forward to being with you next time. So from Alison and from me, it's goodbye for now.